Hi, I'm David Goforth, pastor at Grace Baptist Church. So glad that you're taking the time to listen to this podcast. And I want to let you know we're here to help you. If you have any questions, please visit our website, gbcwc.org, and contact us. We'd love to help. We have been in the middle of a study of pondering the path of our feet, looking at what it is that we have brought into our lives as Christians and wondering, should that be a part of this? Now, last week, when we talked about First Thessalonians 4 through 8, I introduced the idea of exclusivism. Exclusivism is what I'm talking about when we're talking about the idea of... It's not quite right yet, folks. I don't know what's going to happen. We'll see how that works. All right, if you start hearing a hum and uh, you see me twitching strangely, I could have hooked it up the wrong way, but we'll see. We're talking about exclusivism. And what I mean by exclusivism is this idea that the best way for your son, your daughter, for yourself to find your life's mate is to enter the dating pool, find somebody that will put up with you, date them for as long as you can, and if you don't break up, eventually get married. If you do break up, then realize, okay, that wasn't the one for you, need to move on to another person. And this idea of dating is something that was very firmly ensconced in the mindset when I came along, when I came up. Um, I, I started dating in high school. So you say, well, Pastor, go for it. I can't believe that you're preaching against something that you did in high school. Honestly, that's most of what I preach. No, I'm kidding. But there is no way that I could not preach against something just because I participated. Part of the reason why I am preaching is because of the reality of what I learned after studying God's word and finding out why, why, why is it that this is so pervasive? Why is it that we just accept and say, okay, this is, this is okay. This is what we should do. And we're in 1 Thessalonians 4. And again, this, I believe, is an area of grace because God does not delineate specifically what you should or should not do. But I think that we need to rethink what we are doing when we're talking about exclusivism. Now, I don't use the term dating. I don't use the term going steady because that means different things to different people. I am talking about when a boy and a girl get to a part in their relationship where they are exclusive with each other. It's expected you're going to spend more time texting, talking, uh, doing whatever. It's expected you're going to sit together. It is um, it's when it becomes an exclusive relationship. It doesn't have to be a certain age. It does, there doesn't have to be a driver's license involved. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to exchange uh, varsity jackets or uh, class rings uh, or things like that. Young people, that's what your grandparents used to do when they were dating. They had class rings. They would exchange them varsity jackets, varsity sweaters, uh, things like that. Nowadays, I'm so far removed from the dating scene uh, that, uh, that it probably involves something digital, something to do with social media and posting what this about you or whatever. But I'm talking about this idea that this is the best way for God's people to find the person that they are going to marry is to enter into the dating pool. And the reason that I want you to think about that is because, not because, I, I don't, I'm not saying that exclusivism is a sin necessarily, but it's, it, it does make sin much more easy and much more easily accessible, I would say. It's not sinful, but the thinking is un, it's not, it's not biblical. And I want to try to point some things out to you. I want to walk this through and give you a chance to ask questions about this. Because of what we're talking about here in 1 Timothy 4, or 1 Timothy, Thessalonians 4. We talked about this last week. Asked you to study, asked you to look into it. Uh, well, that's where we're going to start. We'll have a word of prayer. We'll go through it. And then we'll lay out the difference between biblical exclusivism and non-biblical exclusivism. And what we need to be focused on as Christians. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll get going. Lord, thank you for this opportunity. Teach us, help us understand truth from your word. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to study your word. Lord, I ask that you would help us. 
Lord, and help us to realize what it is that you'd have for us as, as moms and dads, as grandmas and grandpas, to try to encourage the next generation in seeking your will. Lord, I thank you. We love you. In Christ's name, amen. If you're with me there in 1 Timothy 4, Paul says in Thessalonians, I know, Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. What Paul is saying is he's saying, listen, I have taught you some of the basics in walking in the Christian life. You need to move on beyond that. That's why I think it is okay to use this passage when talking about exclusivism or dating. No, Paul does not talk about thou shalt not start dating until thine 16th birthday. He didn't say anything like that. But he says, I've taught you how to walk with the Lord. And my prayer is that your life will continue to grow and expound and abound in this. I want you to move on in the the Christian walk. And so he tells the church of Thessalonica there in verse 2, For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God. Even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. Understand, we live in a very sensualized society in the United States of America. But it was... No different as far as the amount of sensuality back in the Roman world. There was absolutely wickedness everywhere around. And when Christians got saved, fornication was just such a normal part of their life that that was one of the things that the the early church really had to say, listen, you've, you've you've got to understand, you've got to step out of this way of thinking. They, they had become very, very wicked in their thinking in the, in the Roman world. And often you will hear the admonition, listen, you've got to step far, far away from this. And these sins are sins that are, are, are great sins in that community as they are in our community. That you should abstain from fornication. That word fornication, some people try to delineate that and say, okay, well, that means this or this. That means any sin. Any sexual sin, any sin outside of the realm of what God says is appropriate for a husband and wife. Now, here's what it says in verse 4. Every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Here's the first principle that I think that dating makes very, very difficult. Is that we as human beings, one of the first things we talked about is when you start talking to an individual. Okay, if you're going to start dating, the question that always comes up is, pastor, reverend, whoever, how far is too far? And the question is never asked, how can I glorify the Lord necessarily? It's rarely asked, how can I glorify the Lord in my dating? It's most often asked, how far can I go and not, and not get in trouble? And that whole idea is how far can I, because listen, here's the thing. There is a number of different things that have come in the past that have tried to address this, especially those of you that are old enough to remember when the AIDS epidemic came around and we didn't know what we were facing and people started saying, listen, we've got to get back to purity. And there's even, it's even called sometimes now in a derogatory term, purity culture, as if that was some kind of thing. And people will say, well, people were attacking the physical relationship and all these different things that were going on. But the reality was that people were reacting to the fact that it was obvious that the immorality of the nation had caused some different problems and Christians were trying to grasp at different straws. And so, yes, there were some people that went far beyond and said, hey, you know what we've got to do? If you want to have a good marriage, if you want to have a good life, then you've got to promise to do this and this and this. And the problem with the purity culture as I experienced in the 90s, that was when I was a youth pastor, and afterwards was that the purity culture was primarily focused on what you could get out of life if you would do things. Now listen, let me ask you a question. Is it of benefit to serve God? Absolutely it is. Do we serve God for the benefit? No. In fact, if you look at the first sermon 
that Jesus Christ preached. He does not tell people, hey, do this and you'll be happy. He says, if you're doing these things, happiness will be a byproduct. And what are the wonderful things? Being destitute. Being broken and sorrowful. Being meek. Understand, this was not, Jesus Christ did not say, hey, listen, if you'll do this, 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 and this, you'll be happy. He, he stood up and said, you know what? The people who are absolutely destitute, you are depending completely and wholly upon God, they're happy. It's a byproduct. And what happened in the purity culture is the purity culture came out and said, listen, if you want to be happy, if you want to have a happy marriage, then do this and this. And so people said, well, hey, I want to have a happy marriage, so I'll do this and this. And let me tell you something. You can't do anything with a focus on serving yourself and expect it to be profitable. We are called to serve the Lord. And what Paul says here is you need to know how to possess your vessel in sanctification and honor. And here's what he's saying. This is a completely weird concept to the saved Gentile because the unsaved Gentile basically followed their lust and the, 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 the different things that their bodies wanted, they would just go after that. And there were all different kinds of debauchery, uh, folks that were after uh, the, getting drunk, folks that were after food, folks that were after the physical relationship between individuals. They would chase that after trying to say, just like we have in our communities, and Paul said, you have to live differently. You don't live by your flesh. And folks, it's not just in fornication that he's talking about. We as Christians should not be driven by the flesh. We should not be uh, doing things simply because that's what our flesh wants. We're not to live by the lust of the flesh. We have a different person that we are serving. But Paul says, first and foremost, you have to understand you, you should not serve the flesh. That's the first thing he says. Look at verse five. Not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which know not God, controlled by desires. We should not live controlled by our desires. Paul says that he buffets his body, that he brings his body into subjection. He does not want to make his body the person that controls him. Now we could get off the beaten path here that we're talking about dating. We could talk about any number of things. There are certain things that we as human beings come to depend upon and we say, hey, this is what we have to do and we're, we're not controlling our flesh, we're letting our, our flesh control us. And our flesh will jump in to control us at any time. If you're honest, don't raise your hand, but if you're honest in this room, there have been some times you sat down and thought, I want to check this out on YouTube. And 17 hours later, you were watching a cat play the piano and you thought, what have I done? Because your flesh took over and you were bored. And as you sat there, you were bored. So what was your fleshly response? Maybe the next video will be exciting. Click. And then when that got boring, we said, well, maybe I'll turn on the TV have that screen going and this screen going and my iPad on the side. Trying to feed the flesh with the flesh. It's a banquet in the grave. There is plenty to feast on, but it is nasty and will never satisfy. And Paul says, listen, don't let your bodies control you. Do not let your desires control you. Go on to verse six. That no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any manner. Because matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, so as we have forewarned you and testified. Paul says, do not go beyond and take what you do not have the right to take. And here is one of the things, and again, I want to say, it is not a sin to be exclusive. It is not a sin to date. But human beings are made to be together. 
And when we start telling our young people at whatever age, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 18, 40, start having an exclusive relationship. Understand when they enter into a relationship that starts to become intimate on the emotional level, you are putting them into a situation of being driven by the desires of the flesh. You see, exclusivism is not wrong. But what exclusivism often does is it mistakes intimacy for something that is okay. The Bible tells us, and this is what's so strange to many Christians, the Bible tells us commit and then be intimate. But modern American thinking says get as intimate as you can, check it out, Take the car for a test drive, see what happens, and if nothing falls apart, then go ahead and try marriage out. That is the exact opposite of what God's Word says. God's Word says you commit, and then you become intimate. And what I don't think we understand is that when we put somebody into a relationship and they begin to become more and more exclusive, it gets more and more difficult for them to not mistake that exclusiveness for some type of real commitment. And there is no real commitment in the exclusive relationship. Now, let me tell you what I'm talking about when I'm talking about biblical exclusivism. Biblical exclusivism is the method, I would, I would call that the method of carrying out a relationship with an individual and in seeking God's will for your life for marriage. I am not going to be preaching on this topic and saying I'm going to recommend that you stay locked in a box until uh, we have a dating committee. We're going to form a dating committee at Grace Baptist Church. And uh, Ed Earwood and David Goforth and David Smith are going to pick your spouse. Notice how nobody said amen right there? There should have been at least three people in the room. Well, my wife's in the nursery. There should have been at least two people in the room that said, hey, those people pick pretty good spouses. Not even those two said amen. But see, the reality is, is that our culture has said, you know what? If you like somebody, tell them you like them. Get into an exclusive relationship. See if you can stay together until it's time to get married. And now that has developed into, you know what? It's part of life. You're however many years old. You should have a boyfriend or girlfriend. In fact, we even make people feel bad if they reach a certain age and haven't accomplished certain things as a dating individual. Oh, they're 16 and never had a boyfriend. Oh, they're 16 and never been kissed. How sad. And where, where does that come from? It doesn't come from the Bible. The Bible does not say, listen, rent the car first, take it out for a test drive and see if you want to keep it. The Bible says, commit. And then take the car out. That's it. Now, that, that, that seems, to some of us, listen, it seems awkward, but it's amazing. When I read some of the different uh, magazines and some of the different things, and I hear the number of people that stand up and say, hey, listen, all those of you uh, single individuals, you need to make sure and understand that God's word tells us that we need to wait until marriage, and people will randomly and out loud mock that from Christian perspectives. On social media, there will be people that are like, okay, these freak, these weirdos that are doing this or doing this, and they'll mock the people that are trying to follow along. And it's become such, so strongly ensconced in our mindset that we think a person, listen, we think a person who doesn't date anybody meets the person that they're going to marry, and then they marry that person having never dated anybody else. There are some Christians who go, oh my, 
Marrying the first person you found, I don't know how that's going to work out. And yet, if you go to another culture where they actually do arrange marriages and their divorce rate is less than 10%, and we tell them, well, obviously what you do doesn't work. I will never forget, there's a, the, the Chinnamalayas, they came here to visit the church. They had the most unbelievable story. They, they arranged marriage from India. He was here working in the United States. His family called him and said, we believe we found somebody that would be good for you to marry. He went home and met her. They met, the families talked, and they agreed, yes, we do think we would be good to marry each other. They got married, and he had to come back to the States to work. He came back on September 10th. His wife was coming over the next day. September 11th happened. And she couldn't leave. And she said, my biggest fear was my husband had only seen me for a couple of hours. I thought, I can't fly to America. By the time I get there, he'll forget who I am. And, I thought, and they were sitting there and they were laughing and they were chuckling. And I thought, and in my mind, I was thinking, how did you survive that? Because our culture is so, it's so, we have this idea, the best person to find or mate is you. It's amazing to me. I've listened, and my, my daughters aren't in here to defend themselves. But I would joke with them about having arranged marriages. And they would say, oh, Dad, the last person in the world I want you to find a wife or to find a husband is you. I'm like, so you're saying that I did a very poor job at finding a spouse? Well, no, Dad. I mean, you, you kind of lucked up when you got mom. You know that? We all know that. But we definitely don't want you choosing because obviously you don't. And, I'm, and again, I'm not arguing for arranged marriages. But I'm saying that our culture has so far invaded our thinking. I have been at weddings where people have said, when did they meet? Oh, is it, and that's the first person they ever dated? And they'll look at their spouse and go, and they'll have a look like, wow. Oh my. Like there is something they've missed out on. But, but, but biblical exclusivism is the, is the idea of biblically carrying out a relationship between a man and a wife for the purpose of eventually being married. It usually, it usually involves more than just the individual. It usually involves the parents. It usually involves the family. And here's the amazing thing, is that we know the Bible tells us that we're supposed to operate as a body. But this is so firmly ensconced in our mind that when we think of Dating as a body, we think, oh my word, the last person that I want, I don't want the church people messing with my personal business. I'll just introduce them to them and you can say, and I can tell you story after story after story of somebody that has brought their boyfriend or girlfriend to their church, their entire church has gone, what are you doing? Don't do it, young person. Literally went to the person and said, this is not, this person is horrible. I, I can't believe you're eating. And, they, and the person's filter heard them say, rainbows, unicorns. Wonderful things. And they did not listen. It's, it's a completely different thing. And it happens under the authority of the spiritual leadership. Now, here's the thing, and this is all we're going to look at tonight. We're just going to look at a couple of things. And here's the biggest difference, okay? I first ran into this when I was started counseling for pre, premarital counseling. I would talk to the folks and say, okay, how did you meet? And most of the time, when I would get this kind of story. Well, I saw her violin started playing. There's usually some kind, of, and they would, they would giggle and laugh and talk about this. It's whenever you have premarital counseling and the folks are coming in, you ask them how they meet, they will go through this, this thing about how, it, it's never a boring story. It's never, 
um, well, we just we went to the same church and then everybody else got married and we were like, tag, you're it. So we're here, preacher. It's never something like that. It's like, it, sometimes it'll be, well, the first time I met him, I thought he was an idiot. Or the first time I met her, I didn't notice her or, or something like that. But then we, and they'll talk about this different way, how they fell in love. And they say, okay, now, moving forward. And I've actually had to, and I actually will frequently counsel this in premarital counseling. Moving forward, you have to completely change the way that you think. Now, how many of you in here, my hand is raised, you practice the American style of dating as your method of finding a spouse? Just share your, how many of you? Okay, so about 30% of you raised your hand. The rest of you, go ahead and listen. I think you'll be able to pick this up, okay? In the dating process, when you started dating whoever you were dating, what was the primary purpose of why you started dating them? Don't say marriage. They look good, okay? They look good, all right? Husbands, if you're not shaking your head, start shaking your head right now in an up and down motion. Yeah, they look good. Now, husbands, every one of you in here know that if I just said, why did you start dating the person you married? If you raised your hand and said, obviously she needed to be ministered to. (laughs) Going to be a long night. Right? Because if you went into college, went into the workplace, went into church and said, there's a woman that needs to be ministered to. I started dating her because she obviously needed discipleship. Listen, I saw a day at school. Is there anything wrong with being attracted to somebody? No. But is that what you're supposed to base your marriage on? Now, I'm going to say something shocking to some of you young people. Some of you. Now, I have the the great misfortune of having married a lady that looks the same of when I married her. Some of you have seen my wedding photos and you have joked, oh, this was your first husband day? Because there's this little skinny guy with bleach blonde hair, okay? You could actually see the bones in his face. I almost looked like somebody had starved me. They said, who is that? That's David. In fact, my wife keeps those pictures around the house. She tries to remind herself. That's what I married. Don't fault me for this. Don't hold this against me. He actually didn't always look like this. And she, she has it. And sometimes it pops up on her phone. Pictures from when I was 17. Okay? Now, I'm not saying that being attracted to your spouse is the wrong thing. But that is primarily what our culture has based the dating scene on. And can I tell you something? As a Christian, you have to switch out of that mode because you are quickly moving to a time when you will no longer be the most attractive person in the room. Some of you have reached that. Fellas, do not say amen. (laughs) But if you do not switch into a biblical mode of a relationship, and what is the biblical mode? It's not 50-50, folks. It is you are 100% in regardless of your spouse. Jesus Christ says, husbands, you do this. It doesn't matter what the spouse does. Ladies, Jesus Christ says, girls, you do this. It doesn't matter what the husband does. We cannot look. Well, I would be a better husband if my wife. No, no, no. Husbands, you love your wife like Christ loved the church. That's the job. That's what you have to do. And give themselves for it. We are signing up to sacrifice, to disciple, to lead our wives. 
And many of us started this journey based on a completely selfish concept of, oh, wow. I want to date her because she's better looking than anybody else. Now, personally, I think a lot of that is simply God's grace. Because can I tell you something? My wife is a fabulous wife. She is an unbelievable preacher's wife. I did not date her for either one of those reasons. I dated her because she was good looking. And then for some reason, she dated me. And the thing is, is that I did not, I did not say, Lord, I don't care about your will, but I did not say, Lord, let your will be done. I said, Lord, could you make her your will? Because she's pretty good looking. And then when I heard her sing, I said, yeah, God, that, you really need to make her your will for me. She's kind of fighting me on this, so I'm going to need your help. <laughs> it was not, Lord, direct me. Lord, teach me. Lord, show me. It was, God, this is who I want. Go ahead and put your stamp of approval on it. And it's a completely selfish-based idea. And the Bible tells us, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether therefore you eat or drink, would dating be encouraged in that? Could that be in that list? If it's as little as eating and drinking, could be finding your spouse be also supposed to, something that's supposed to be done to glorify God? But be honest, those of you that practice that. Was that your motive? Now, those of you that got saved after you were married, of course it wasn't your motive. But those of you that were Christians, were you truly saying, Lord, this is what I want to glorify you? I'm sure there are some out there. But most of us, it was a selfish ideal. Colossians 3, look at this. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Lord, I'm dating for you. Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for your spouse. You know, if you'll go back and you'll read some of the Christians from two centuries ago, late 1800s, early 1900s, you will be amazed at some of the prayers that they said. Rosalind Goforth, who married Jonathan Goforth, she decided she wanted to marry him after she looked at his Bible. They went to a revival service. He put his Bible on the seat, went outside to use the restroom. She ran over, picked up his Bible and read it, went back and said, Lord, please let me marry that man. Because she saw how he studied the Bible and how he loved God. You never hear her saying, wow, look at that chin. Look at those muscles rippling in the wind. He smelled like a Cinnabon. It's nothing like that. It was, look at that character. And honestly, folks, many of us, the character was something that came later. Colossians 3.23, whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not unto men. Colossians 3.24, knowing that of the Lord you'll receive the reward of inheritance that you serve the Lord Christ. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord. Most of our dating was not done to the Lord. Most of the young people in 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th grade, when they get involved in dating, they're not dating heartily to the Lord. Romans 6.13, here's the interesting thing. Neither yield your, ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. This is where we're going to end. While dating is not a sin, it places you in a situation. And in the 30 years that I've been in ministry, I have found very, very few young people who started dating very, very early, marriage was not on the immediate horizon. Marriage was going to come after college, after high school, after some length of time. But they found somebody, and now they're, and, and listen, I understand. 
Your, your kid finds somebody that goes to church and they're faithful and you're excited. Well, I'm glad that they're friends with them. And then we encourage this dating and this idea comes in. And then all of a sudden we find out they're struggling with this. They're getting involved with this. And I've had the unfortunate responsibility of sitting in my office with couples who've grown up in Christian homes. Who've had to repent before their wedding. Because as they sit there and as they start looking at it, they realize, you know what, we crossed the line numerous times. I yielded my members as instruments of unrighteousness. Because here's the great mystery. Ephesians 5, and we'll be done. Ephesians 5, 31. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is not just talking about the physical relationship, but it is not not talking about the physical relationship. And understand something, as Christians, everything we do is gospel-related. Everything we do is focused on glorifying Jesus Christ. Everything we do. God is not just redeeming your soul. He is redeeming all of you. And has he given you a desire to be with somebody? Yes, that is a normal, absolute normal desire. But understand something. God has redeemed that desire as well. And it is not something to be focused on for yourself. It is not something he has said, you know what? I am going to give men and women an opportunity to proclaim the gospel and to see redemption in a way that is a great mystery because it talks of the closeness of how close I am with the church. Look at the next verse, verse 32. It's a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And the problem with the purity culture was not that they said we need to be pure. The problem with the purity culture is they said you need to be pure because it's better for you. No, you need to be pure because that's the gospel. You need to follow what Jesus Christ says because he said it. You need to understand that there needs to be a complete, it's not, hey, how how much can I do to still please myself and still enjoy the things that I want to enjoy? No, no, God wants to redeem and revoke and revamp, not revoke, revamp and redo everything so that when you live, you don't live to yourself or die to yourself. You live to the Lord and you do it of faith. Because the physical relationship between a man and a woman is something that God himself created and it is a wonderful thing. And here's the amazing thing is that the Bible answers the question, well, what what, what am I supposed to do then? The marriage bed is undefiled, 1 Corinthians 7. God, this is something that a lot of people don't preach on, but God actually commands husbands and wives to be physical. It's a command. Our world has said, you know what? There's something better. And they try to shove out this idea of romance and love and this and that and the other. And then we as Christians take in and we take our young people and we say, you know what? We want you to be pure, but we're going to put you in a position where you're going to have to fight for this. Because you know what? As a married couple, you don't have to fight for purity. You have to be with each other. God has provided a way. And this idea of getting set up and setting our children up, I just want you to take a step back and look at it. Now, I want you to understand, make sure you get this. I am not going to cast aspersions. I am not going to come and, and, and place certain things in your yard or say certain things about you. If you choose to still participate in this, but I would love for you to sit down and say, Pastor Goforth, here is how we date to the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. Here's how I do this because I have to do this. In fact, Pastor Goforth, 
I've looked at this. We've sat down. We've prayed about it. And my wife and I have decided our children need to do this in order to bring glory to God. And here's why. Please don't just sit and, and don't think I am not going to look. Listen, some of you I know that your, your young people have boyfriends, girlfriends. They're in high school. They're in college, whatever. I'm not fussing at you. I'm trying to get you to take back and look at the path that we are on. I hope you understand I'm not against marriage. I am married. My oldest daughter. That's the closest I've come so far to being against marriage. I always thought I can't wait for somebody to come. And, but when it finally happened, I thought, no, don't move away. Get married and live next door. For some reason, they weren't as keen to that idea. But I am for it. But trust me, I am not trying to get you to join into some type of cultish thinking or some type of, hey, this is the better way. I simply want you to ponder the path of your feet. Now, the next time that we get together, because we're going to end, I know that you're all chomping at the bit to get to the business meeting. The next time we're going to get together, we're going to actually talk about, okay, well, Pastor Goforth, because some people just throw out words. Don't date, you should court. What is courting? That's Baptist dating a lot of times when I look at it. I mean, it's just just the same thing as regular dating, only a lot more putt-putting bowling's involved. Going to actually look at, okay, in our modern age, what, what would it look like? And the basic idea is, hey, listen, uh, what is it that we can do to help you? I don't want you to just assume, okay, well, I dated. Well, then my kids will date. My grandkids will date. Stop. Take a look at it. Ponder the path of your feet. And I, and I hope that you'll do that. And listen, I know that some of you may disagree with me, and I want you to disagree with me. I, I am not here for you to agree with me. I'm here to challenge your thinking, and I, and I want to encourage you to, to look at it and say, okay, how are we going to do this? How are we going to date as a ministry? How are we going to uh, follow this path and say, all right, because it, I'm not against being exclusive. I'm for biblical exclusivism. I'm just against this exclusivism that starts with, hey, what do I want? What is the person? What looks good to me? Let me go out there, find somebody, get involved, and then try not to sin until we get married. That's what I'm trying to encourage you to do. So we'll talk next time we get together. We'll say, okay, so how are we going to move forward? What would it look like? If I'm going to pursue, if I'm single or if my children are single, how am I going to encourage them to pursue and, and, to, and, and to do this? What would be the biblical steps? We're going to look at some basics in that. If you have some questions, you can send those on to me and that'll be great. Let's stand to our feet. We're not going to have a come forward invitation about dating. We are going to dismiss with a word of prayer, and then right after prayer, we're going to get ready for our business meeting. If you are not a member of Grace Baptist Church, you can go. If you would like to stand around for a, and stick around for a business meeting, you're welcome to stick around. You just can't vote. But we're going to have a business meeting immediately afterward. And so after prayer, if you are not a church member, if you would like to go, you can take your way out. The rest of us, let's just stay standing for a couple of moments. And did we have any, Diana, could you make your way to the piano there just real quick? We'll play a little travel music right after prayer so that we can get uh, the clerk. We'll get in place. We'll get all the ballots ready and we'll have that. And, uh, and we'll dismiss folks and, uh, and let them go. And, uh, and, and please, I just want to make sure. I want to make sure that there's nobody here. Because listen, some of you may say, Pastor, go forth. I, I don't want you to think. You may have you know, a high schooler or a college student right now that has a boyfriend or girlfriend. I am not saying anything against. I'm just trying to get you to ponder the path of your feet, to look at it and say, okay, what are we going to do? What is it that God wants me to do? I would love, absolutely love,
to be able to do that in every area. And I'm not saying, don't think that I think any less of anybody. I don't. I just want you to ponder the path of your feet. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll have our business meeting. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to spend some time looking at some different principles from your word. Lord, I ask that you would help us to desire to follow you. And Lord, I ask that you would give our, our young people and our single folk, Lord, the ability to realize that you are the God of their single years. Lord, that uh, marriage is not the end goal in life. That your apostle Paul actually said it was more advantageous not to be married. Lord, there's so many things that our culture has pressed upon us. And there's so many folks that feel, feel suffocated because they haven't gotten married, haven't gotten a boyfriend, haven't gotten a girlfriend, haven't gotten kids. And Lord, we press them into this mold and we set them up for disappointment when actually you've created them to do something, Lord, Lord, far more greater than that. Because it's your will and your will is the best. And so I ask that you give us the wisdom, Lord, to pursue your will, to pursue your direction, to follow you in every situation. And Lord, I ask that you'd help us as we ponder the path of our feet. We love you. In Christ's precious name, amen. All right, let's dismiss those folks that need to go. We'll take about 30, 45 seconds, and we'll get ready for our business meeting.